And we're live. Okay. Hello, everyone. Once again, welcome back to the future of. Today's topic is going to be the future of software. I'm your host, Jonathan Narvi, the founder of MindMeld PR. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Vern Weitzman, the CTO and founder of Sierra Apps Limited and Atrezzo. Um, that's, that's a quick set snapshot of what it is that you do and who you are. Maybe you could provide a bit more background on um, how you came into this conversation. What, what makes you a technology uh, leader? Okay. Um, in, in, in my recent history, um, my recent history, I'm going to go back 20 years. Um, I got really interested in BlackBerry um, in the early 2000s. I was one of BlackBerry's uh, early uh, consultants and promoters and started developing software for BlackBerry in, in addition to uh, a business where uh, that my, my wife ran where we were uh, pushing BlackBerries and, and helping large enterprises deploy BlackBerry. So I've been doing that for a long time. So that's where I really got interested and got passionate about mobile data networking. And back in those days, um, you know, we had this pager-sized device. It was a RIM 950 to two, a full two megabytes of memory, and it ran on a AA battery. And um, you could you could hook it up to your Exchange mailbox, and it would uh, when you sent a message from the BlackBerry pager, it would, would send it from your Microsoft Exchange server mailbox. And when mail came in, you could open it and read it. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And so did my customers, all the uh, companies I knew about that were using Microsoft Exchange server. And uh, it was really fun to be in on uh, the early days of BlackBerry uh, and uh, watch that platform evolve. So um, then, but basically BlackBerry had some holes in it and it didn't have attachment handling and some other uh, things. So we, we started building software for it. And uh, Atrezzo was launched in 2001. <clears throat> and then in about 2003, we pivoted to um, this contact synchronization space that we live in right now. So, so uh, I, I think I, I should provide maybe a little bit of context for viewers who came of age a little bit after uh, myself and after Vern. Uh, so BlackBerry was not just a tech company uh, on the scene. It was one of the tech companies on the scene. And Vern was right there on the ground floor. Uh, and and so it, I, I think this gives you a very uh, interesting and, and long-term perspective on the tech sector. And, and not just on the software front, but from the hardware and then uh, integrating with software. And so you, you've got an interesting perspective to offer on the future of software. Um, yep, that's right, yeah. So um, maybe we can uh, you know, move a little bit forward in time and, and talk about uh, the, the changes that we've seen more recently in the, uh, in, in the software space, uh, you, you're in the software as a service space. Um, and uh, you can talk about the, the changes, the move to the cloud and, and other interesting changes in terms of how software is delivered. And soon we'll get to the topic of 
what software is going to do for us, but maybe right now we can combine those with uh, how has software evolved in terms of how it's delivered and what it does for us. Passion, how it's delivered. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the traditional model, uh, you know, has been companies buy a piece of iron and a server and they set it up. Uh, maybe if you're a small company, you put it in a closet. And if you're, you know, if you were a bigger company in the early 2000s and uh, you would, you'd, you'd build your own computer room. And you and I had customers that would spend tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars building a small little data center in the corner of their building. Uh, you know, AC requirements, upgraded electrical. They'd put all these servers in there. And, and there was an evolution, though, because after a few years, virtualization started to come out. And now companies could replace a dozen servers with a single server. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting transition to see where you had these, the, these organizations with hundreds or sometimes thousands of servers and could consolidate them down to a fraction of those servers. And can, I, then, can I interject with uh, sure. a quick story? So this is one of my first uh, marketing gigs with a, with a tech firm, and this was a number of years ago, and, and there was an on-site server. Uh, and to me, uh, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I come into tech uh, not as a builder of technology, but as a communicator of it. Uh, so to me, it was eye-opening to see this man behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz moment, where uh, you know the the magic was revealed to be a uh, a, a nerd sitting in a basically a, a small closet with a server babysitting it and uh, doing. I had no idea what with it. Uh, to make sure that the company just could operate because there was something that was hamstringing our operations. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to see we're evolving from that. Yep. Yeah, there was a lot of, I visited a lot of businesses uh, and helped them out when they had a server in a closet and it usually didn't end well. It was usually pretty, pretty bad because, you know, the, the closet didn't have the right ventilation. So the server got real hot and and it, since it was out of sight, you know, hard disks would start to fail and nobody would know until the whole thing just melted down. And uh, then I would get calls to mm. tell them the bad news mm -hmm. that, that, that their server was toast. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pretty amazing evolution to watch the, the, from that point, the future of computing and what happened for small businesses. Because now today, those same companies that had uh, a server, a Microsoft Exchange, a file server, some application, and all that stuff would be running in their closet. And you know they'd spend a few thousand dollars for a server, they'd pay another few thousand dollars a year for a consultant like me to come in and keep it working and fix it. <clears throat> but now they can put that in the cloud and they can run that on Microsoft or Azure and run Office 365 or they can put something on Amazon or Google and um, for just a, a relatively small monthly cost. They don't have any headaches. They don't have to worry about the closet overheating or running out of electrical capacity. And so that's, that, that's been a phenomenal thing to watch and as the future of computing. So, so if, for, for people not really uh, you know, thinking about that, we have, um, <clears throat> have on-premise infrastructure. And then now, you know, then, then the next evolution in terms of computing was infrastructure as a service. <clears throat> so somebody will give you um, a server to run in their data center and they'll manage the server for you. And it, it could also be that 
they gave you a virtual machine and you were responsible for running your entire application uh, on your uh, on your own virtual machine. So it's basically the same thing. You just didn't have to worry about the hardware. Then the next step up from there is platform as a service, where somebody might have, <clears throat> you know, web servers or web services, and you could you could literally say, okay, <clears throat> I want to put up this website on a hundred, and they would manage the WordPress installation or whatever whatever platform it is you have for a hundred servers, keep them all running, keep it scalable. And you can increase or decrease your server request. That's, that's that's platform as a service. The next evolution in our uh, computing history is SaaS, software as a service, and that takes even one more responsibility away from the customer. They're just renting the software. Everything else is run. So, so what what my company does, Sera Apps Limited, we we have a platform called SeraSync, and it does a form of uh, contact. Uh, synchronization for Microsoft Office 365 and Exchange, and customers don't need to know anything about setting up software. They just log in, grant consent or grant permission to our application, and they get what they want. Sometimes within 60 seconds, they're up and running. As where if they our application, I, I, which is iTrezzo 20 years ago when we started, it could take you know several hours to set up the server. Uh, and, and get it running and uh, require your own hardware and software. Um, so significantly more expensive. So that, anyway, that's, that's, that's from the past to the future is in the future is SaaS. Uh, you know, basically companies don't want to run the infrastructure and hire expensive developers and consultants, assist IT people to run those, uh, run those systems. So this is terrific detail and context for people to understand uh, what goes on behind, behind the scenes uh, or what has gone on behind the scenes to make this uh, technology and our, the software that runs our lives possible. Uh, you know, I think back, it, it wasn't that many years ago that, um, you know, software was something you might use for business, you, you might not uh, see much, um, you, you might not be using apps in your regular life and, and our lives have transformed to the point where uh, software uh, is sort of like the, uh, the air we breathe, the water we drink, it's, it's everywhere, uh, you know, as, as human beings, um, we've sort of entered a new stage where um, you know the technology is it's enabling us to do new and interesting things and uh, even better it's enabling enabling us to do these things without um, maybe what people thought the future was going to look like and maybe that that is what it's going to look like still uh, you know you, you think of you know Terminator Terminator cyborgs uh, but you know, basically the idea of a, of a cyborg where the, the technology is clunky, it's clearly there. Uh, there's a lot of metal everywhere um, versus the actual world that we have created where the software is seamless, it's behind the scenes, a lot of it is browser-based uh, or it's just invisible. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you can talk a little bit more about um, you know, you, 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 gave, you, you gave incredible context of, of what 
has happened until now? Where, where do you see these, uh, where do you see the future of software going now in terms of what it can do for us? Yeah, there's, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm actually amazed at what's happening. If, if you look at uh, machine learning right now and what's happening in that space, you've got, you know, hundreds, thousands of teams, companies building products for machine learning. And, you know, so, so this is something that's like really obvious is to, uh, you know, look at images and, uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, this has been around for a while, but look, look, put a camera on a car and get the license plate, take the license plate and convert it from, you know, the, the image into text and, and to record that. So what's different between now and 10 or 15 years ago. So maybe there was an algorithm that, uh, you know, that the state of California might've purchased to, uh, uh, have cameras on a freeway and put that feed back to a data center and analyze the license plates and, and record them. And you know, for a couple of million dollars here and a couple of million there, they can have that kind of infrastructure to put all those things into a database uh, and and do whatever applications they need with it. But now, literally, for I'm I'm going to say like dollars, dollars per day, dollars per month, or whatever it is, based on your volume, it might change. But you can put together an application. Uh, let's say you're the owner of a parking garage, um, and you know you're about to up your uh, your parking. Uh, you know, gate, you know, where people pay with credit card or get a, get a physical parking ticket and come back in a few hours and, and then they, uh, um, they, they pay their money. And um, the reason I say this is the parking garage in our headquarters. It's just kind of a pain uh, if, if I don't have a monthly parking pass and I, and I stop my monthly parking pass because, because we're, we're in COVID lockdown and I go there for like, you know, one hour a week. Um, but so anyway, so the, the car comes into a parking garage and uh, it looks at the license plate and it goes and it looks you up and it looks in the cloud and it says, oh, that, that guy, oh yeah, he's, he's paid. He's got, a, he's got a, an account with us. And then it will turn around and just bill your credit card. You know? So it says, okay, he came in at 3 p.m. He left at 4, 15 p.m. You know, this, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna charge him $15. Uh, and so you didn't have to do anything when there's no more gate. It just looked at your thing or, or maybe, maybe it stopped you if it didn't recognize your license plate and it made you sign up for an account. And then it sent you to your smartphone to go put your credit card information. But the, 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 real, the real distinction about this is that it's gonna be a lot cheaper and a lot easier for people to do these kind of applications. Um, a developer uh, could on their own without all that information expensive infrastructure could build an application like that in probably a few days and have it up and running for, you know, somebody who owns a, a parking garage. And the, the possibilities of, of other applications like that are just endless. What's going to happen with this really inexpensive way to, uh, um, to leverage artificial intelligence. I mean, some other examples are, you know, people are building SaaS applications with, with AI that look at camera and it can tell uh you know your emotions and it can say oh this person's happy they're sad they're confused they're upset uh all those emotions you know there's probably 20 30 emotions that they can pick up and so so now uh you know when you know you're you're giving a presentation or a sales pitch or let's say you're in marketing and you want to have um um you know you want to do a study you, you you've built this really new you've made this really new commercial really awesome commercial and you think it's the greatest thing in the world. And you know, now you can go put that on a, on a Zoom meeting with 100 people 
um, you know, uh, or, or maybe smaller, but you know, there's the Brady Bunch, there's piles for all the people that, that are, are basically uh, appearing uh, on the screen. And uh, now this software can analyze the emotions of all those people and correlate it to different points in the, in the ad. And they can see, you know, when people are interested, when they're getting bored, when they're excited, when they're upset, and, and then they can go back and tune the ad to, to, uh, to, to really make sure they're, they're coming up with an effective pitch. And of course, you know, the applications don't just go to marketing. It could be you're in telemedicine and, you know, you're, you're, you're looking to get reactions from people. You're giving a presentation to people, uh, tons and tons of applications, you know, applications where you're, uh, you're able to uh, give people support and, and, and help people by knowing what their emotions are and, and you know, providing them the right content at the right time. And again, the point being that this doesn't cost you millions of dollars and take months or years of development. This is stuff you can throw together in hours or, or days uh, and, and get up products like this. And that's, that's what blows my mind. Yeah, we, we live in a, an amazing time uh, where, as you say, these things are happening at, at a faster and faster pace, cheaper to build, uh, we're getting more and more convenience from it. Um, at the same time, and and you know, I'm, I'm what I'm about to say. You know full well I'm, I'm a cheerleader of technology, and of course, you are you're, yourself uh, to the extent that you are a leader in the tech field in Silicon Valley, no less. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm curious what your take is. You know the, the the dangers of AI, and you you can think of um, uh, the the technology that you were just talking about that enables uh, marketers to figure out whether or not people are having a good or a bad or indifferent reaction to products, and you can think how um, you know a uh, like, let's say China is already weaponizing that against its own citizens to the point that. There may already have been sort of a Winston Smith incident of uh, someone, uh, you know, the, the the state controller talking to their through their TV to I don't know who the um, uh, what the name would be of, of of the person on on the other end that I, I I'm I'm not going to attempt to change the name but um, you know where uh, hey you're not doing your calisthenics correctly this morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you seem to have a bad attitude. Yeah, well, it, it really is Big Brother. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, in all sense of the the term, the Orwellian term, I guess. So, uh, yeah. Especially when you can monitor monitor millions of citizens uh, all in one shot and automate the responses uh, and 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 customize it. Yeah, there there there, could, there will definitely be some abuses of this in the future. Hmm. Um. How do you feel about the uh, the big tech companies in Silicon Valley? So I'm talking about you know Google and Facebook and all. Well, you know I, I could list them off for two hours, um, but um, you know how they are using this technology uh, again to try to make things more convenient, but the uh, and 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 enable us to do the things we want to do. And at the same time, they, they have to make money. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. I, I, know, I don't want you to burn any bridges. There's, there's some, no, there's some timely information <laughs> about this uh, today. 
um, you know, iOS 13.5 was released, I think, and it has in it the iOS uh, contact tracing app, app a capability. It's built in to mm -hmm. the to, to the OS and uh, other organizations, you know, agency, government agencies uh, can can take advantage of that API for contact tracing. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I've been reading for the last few weeks is that all of these different countries, you know, France and the UK and Australia and different states in the US, they're all totally upset at Google and Microsoft because they made this contact tracing application that allows you to, you know, to, to opt in, to uh, know when you've been in, you know, in contact with other people, but it's all anonymized and you don't know the location. So it might, you, you, you might, there might be a record that, uh, you know, uh, you were in a, at a party with 20 other people, and then later on you report that you were uh, tested positive for corona. So now, in theory, the other 20 people can be notified anonymously, right? You say, I've been tested positive, and they say, well, you know, you were, uh, you know, on Friday, you know, May 10, you were at this location, and somebody at that location tested positive. Mm. So, okay, so they went through all this trouble to keep this anonymous, to keep it, to really have in mind the user of the phone to not expose any potential uh, risks to people. And, and it seems like they went so far overboard, it's pissed off all these state and local governments. They're furious because they can't build this themselves because it will, it will tear down the battery. It's, people have to run their application in order for it to actually work. It, it would never succeed. So, so here they are, on the one hand, getting totally brutally beat up. Now today, they launched the iOS application, and what did somebody do? They 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 took a screen snapshot of of the iOS release notes, posted them on Facebook, and said, "Oh, Apple is now monitoring where we are, and they're tracking our location, and they you know just basically all the stuff that they had gone to great details to." try to avoid um, and to, 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 to put their foot down and, and stand firm against all these governments that, you know, they were afraid ultimately you're going to use this for totalitarian purposes. Um, you know, the, the exact thing that they were trying to avoid, people who are somewhat ignorant about the subject are, are claiming that, you know, Apple's now tracking everything about them and where they're going and 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 it's they took their release notes completely out of context and started spreading around uh you know this crazy information and so uh, yeah I, this reminds me of uh, a phenomenon and sorry i won't interrupt for too long because i i think you you were going somewhere really good uh the this reminds me of a phenomenon sam harris noted where uh he's, he's a neuroscientist and he's he's talked about you know, you if you talk to a large enough room full of people, uh, in you know physical form or an online forum, uh, if there's enough people in the room, at least a small percentage of the people in the room are going to think you said the exact opposite of the thing that you said. It's it's you know we're we're fighting against human nature here. Yeah. I, 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 and I might be one of those people that didn't really listen very carefully or use my own filters to uh, assume the worst when when I get some information it, it's it's pretty it's pretty difficult yeah there's uh, um, and, and perhaps maybe that's the really cool thing about machine learning 
is that you can start to uh, have tools that will allow you to discover your own cognitive biases uh, and, and, and kind of get down into some, 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 some more uh, inalienable truths about what, what, what's going on in certain situations. But uh, anyway, just to wrap up that <clears throat> part about, you know, Apple, uh, you, you asked me, what do I think about tech companies? And I think in this case, Apple and Google both have a vested interest in convincing people that their platform is safe and that they're not being tracked and that their privacy is not being taken away. And um, Apple in particular has stood pretty firm against, you know, federal agencies that wanted them to break into the encryption on an iPhone and they've refused and they've claimed that, no, we, we, we can't do that. We designed this so we can't get to it. And, uh, um, and, and, you know, there's third parties that have been able to successfully crack things and then Apple turns around and makes it more secure. So <clears throat> I, I, I think that in this case, it is in Apple's vested interest. They have probably trillions of dollars of, you know, business at stake if they start to, uh, um, you know, violate their principles and give nation states access to data on people's phones, people won't think it's secure and uh, they'll look to other means, uh, other platforms. And so, so that's the answer to your question is I think that for the most part, most companies, most of the big companies, uh, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Google, they're going to try really hard to, 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 to protect their users uh, above all else. I mean, and, and even Microsoft as an example, uh, a couple of years ago, there was this lawsuit, this, this, the federal government was suing Microsoft to get access to, I guess it was some drug, drug kingpin. Uh, they had stored their data on a Microsoft server, but it was hosted in Ireland. And Microsoft said, no, you can't have the data. And, you know, the, and in Ireland, they said, uh, no, you know, you'd have to go to Ireland to get permission to access the data. And Ireland said no. So, uh, and, and basically, the, the Justice Department tried like crazy to, to uh, uh, you know, convince Microsoft and the courts that they were entitled to that data because Microsoft was a U.S. company. But ultimately, the, uh, the data geolocation was what mattered. And so, mm. uh, but Microsoft spent all that money to, to, to defend in general, not for that customer, not for the drug, uh, the, the drug dealer or whoever it was, but but just because it, as a matter of principle, you know, it, it, you know, you you have to have legal right to the data and get a subpoena or whatever it is that's whatever the, the tool is. So, so anyway, that's my perception that they're all trying to mm -hmm. uh, these companies are trying to protect users' privacy and and corporate mm. privacy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, over the strenuous uh, efforts of governments. Um, you know, this reminds me, and I don't want to dwell on it too much longer because I, th I think we've sort of covered this point, but uh, it reminds me of the, the, the long-standing effort by governments, particularly uh, U.S. Uh, security agencies, to try to uh, legislate uh, for, uh, it may not be legislated, more, may be more of a bureaucratic effort to get um, big uh, tech companies to create backdoors into their mm -hmm. platforms mm -hmm. uh, just so that, yeah, so that they can catch <clears throat> the terrorist or the drug dealer. And, and, you know, and, and it's been obvious, I, I'm, I'm not a security expert or technologist by any means, but I understand intuitively if you build a backdoor for the government, number one, 
who's to say that that government is going to uh, operate in a responsible way or, or indeed that every single government employee is going to operate in a responsible way. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, if you built that back door, others can find it and, and exploit mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah. Did you know that in China, that uh, you know, they're, uh, I'm, I'm not really against Huawei or any of this stuff, and I, I'm not. I think that a lot of the, uh, the the ban that Trump has put on Huawei is kind of political, mostly in nature. Uh, but but in, in China, my understanding is that uh, companies have to be, to put in back doors. I mean, maybe I'm saying this. I'm, I'm over generalizing. But if you, uh, you know, if you're a company in China, your your license to operate, you know, basically says that if somebody, you know, from the government comes and asks you to do X, you've got to do it. Yeah. And, uh, so um, there's a little bit of a difference in what we have between our, our governments there. So um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Hopefully. Well, this is, a, no, this is an interesting segue to the final point I wanted to cover in this conversation was just how... Um, in, in an age when um, information is transferred literally instantly anywhere in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, how does America keep its technological edge? And, and I'm, so I'm going to provide a, a little bit more context and then let you play with this. Uh, you know, in, in, in past decades, uh, the USA was sort of seen as the, as the arsenal of democracy, but uh, maybe as important or more importantly, it's, it's just this uh, foundation of uh, innovation. It, it's that there are more uh, patents uh, for U.S. technology than anywhere in the world. Uh, and, and it's just, it's the system seems to uh, support a dynamic pursuit of uh, new technologies. Um, and, and so how do you continue doing that? I, maybe times are, are, are better now that, you know, the, the U.S. is taking steps to sort of mitigate, mitigate or finally stop the outright theft of intellectual property. And I don't need to name the country that seems to get named all the time in that regard, but uh, we've already mentioned them. Uh, I don't know. I, I wonder if you had thoughts about this, how uh, America or uh, more specifically American companies, American entrepreneurs, um, you know, help maintain that uh, technological edge that is yeah. <clears throat> a huge advantage. Okay. No, I understand the question. Uh, that's good. It's a good question. Uh, so I guess the first thing is, um, you know, we spy on all the other countries, right? I mean, m maybe the distinction is uh, the U.S. doesn't spy for commercial, uh, you know, doesn't do, you know, industrial espionage uh, the way China does. Uh, but but it, still, we do tons of espionage and use whatever information we can get for, for intelligence. Uh, at least that's, that's, you know, based on things I've read or, or, or heard people discuss. But at the same time, I think it's, um, their responsibility and our responsibility to lock down our networks and not be stupid about, you know, leaving, uh, <clears throat> you know, leaving data exposed on web servers, uh, you know, up in the cloud. And um, uh, people need to, uh, you know, keep their computers secure and patched and up to date. And 
you need to educate your employees not to click on emails um, and, and fall for scams. And um, uh, it's just so, so I mean, maybe that's maybe part of our future, maybe the way for our next generation to uh, to avoid this and to become the technological leader again is to, is to be able to keep our technology secret and not not have it be uh, stolen. But, uh, you know, I have a 10 year old daughter and maybe she should be it's about the time where she should be going uh, in. She should, she should be attending a class on cybersecurity and what she can do personally to, uh, um, you know, be aware of, uh, of, of, you know, phishing emails and app installing applications from the internet that are untrusted and, uh, and things like that. Because I am amazed at how many people, um, senior executives, people with really smart people who you would think uh, wouldn't fall for this stuff, they, they have. And the social engineering is such that they've, you know, uh, they, they've, you know, the CFO wired, you know, $150,000 to a spammer, into a scammer, uh, because they thought it was their, it was their, it was their boss, mm. you know, they thought their boss was in a hurry and needed this $150,000. It was an emergency. And I need you to wire this right away. <laughs> they, they fell hook, line and sinker and, and did it. Uh, so, um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, people, people click on an email and before you know it, that, that that some hacker has access to the inside of your network and then they will work their way around until they have so many back doors, you, you can't secure it. And of course, you know, there's been many famous incidents of that now. Yeah. But well, um, yeah, just last week, a family member and one of the smartest people I know, uh, for anything is, uh, he called me in a bit of a panic because he had clicked on something and he realized probably five minutes later. So it, it, he was able to take some steps, but he had to call in some professional IT support to uh, protect himself. And he's reasonably uh, assured that uh, he's, he's safe. But yeah, it, I, I guess the, the point, uh, you know, tying into the overall theme of, of our talk, you know, if we want to keep this magical technology that enables us to do whatever we want and it's invisible and not clunky uh, and it's amazing uh, we have to protect ourselves so you know just like with many of these talks it comes down to spider-man with great power comes great responsibility and that that is the future of software um, any, any, uh, I, I think that was a, a great talk. I'm very mindful of, of your time right now, Vern. Was there anything you wanted to add uh, to anything we've discussed right now? Uh, uh, something that something that I missed that was crucial? Um, no, I think we covered we covered uh, some some cool things. Uh, and uh, if I had any advice, I mean, my passion is going to be to spend more time learning about machine learning uh, and uh, trying to get ahead of the curve in that area. So um, that, that's where some, somebody came to me and said, you know, where can I get a fresh start? Um, and what, what, where would I get um, gainful employment over the next you know, 10 to 15 years? Um, basically machine learning now is, is you know, having a skill to understand it and, employ, and uh, 
use it to develop real business applications, uh, it's going to be a golden opportunity. It's going to be like it was to be a, a software developer in Silicon Valley, you know, uh, t starting 10 years ago, you know, being able to name your, name your salary uh, mm. will be very in-demand uh, uh, career. Well, I'm sure that'll be very helpful advice for a lot of people right now who are looking for what their next opportunity will be. So I think that's a great place to end this. Um, I, before I let you go, how can people find out more about Sira uh, apps? So sirasync.com, C-I-R-A-S-Y-N-C.com. Uh, that's that's uh, our website for our SaaS application if you start there. Um, and, uh, um, I, I think that's, that's, that's the best, best place to go. Perfect. All right. Well, Vern, it has been a pleasure. Uh, you have been listening to the future of software. I'm your host, Jonathan Narvi, and I will see you at some point in the future. All right. Have a good day. Take care. <laughs>